Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grody, host for this program. And we're coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. And just in case you've never joined us before, welcome. And if you'd like to maybe listen to old Deep in Scripture programs, you can go to deepinscripture.com or you can go to our website, which is chnetwork.org, all kinds of good stuff there. And you can find out about the work that we do. And uh, we do this program to focus on, it's Deep in Scripture, but our theme for this season is hard verses, especially for those who first joined us. And hard verses are interesting. Um, kind of addresses the idea many people have that, well, you know, the Bible is the infallible, inspired Word of God, which uh, we believe. But many people also believe, all oh, I need is the Bible. And uh, that it's perspicuous, it's all ex it's easily explained. Um, and if you want to know what's true, all you need is the Bible. Well, to a certain extent, I believe that. But the problem is that there are verses that are not always that easy, depending on your theology. And that's kind of what we're looking at. Some verses are hard because of our particular tradition, and so we avoid them. We don't go there. Uh, when I was a Calvinist pastor, there were a few verses I didn't go there. And I didn't preach John 6 from the pulpit, for one example. But there's another side of this, and, and sometimes because of our theology or tradition, uh, there may be verses that we think are easy as pie, and they don't need any further explanation. They just fit perfectly, hand in glove, into our theology until somebody draws our attention to it. And then it's almost like, wait a second, where'd that come from? And if you've listened deep in Scripture over the last couple of years, those are verses we sometimes called verses we never saw. And today we might get into a little bit of both of those things. I'm, it's a great privilege to welcome to today's program Matt Swain, who is now a, uh, a full-fledged staff member of the Coming Home Network. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Marcus. Great to uh, speak with you again in official uh, capacity. I believe our first dip in Scripture was probably seven, eight years ago, maybe. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And that's, were you then hosting the morning show back then? I wasn't hosting, I was producing. That's like several lives ago for me, Marcus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And and frankly, I can never remember what your exact title is for the Coming Home Network. Communications coordinator, and it's my job to inform you what everybody's official title is, uh, you know, when you go on, you know, media of any kind. So this is, <laughs> this is a great example of what I do here. <laughs> Well, I knew that's what you did. I just, you know, how titles are. I wasn't sure if you of course, were, of course. How you, were, you know, how they, they keep changing too, because as soon as I give somebody a title, I find out from some lawyer, no, you don't want to call them that. So anyway, whatever. But uh, it's great to have you on board and what Thanks you're so doing. Uh, and and, uh, and it's great to have you join me on, again, on Deep in Scripture. Uh, what is the verse you've chosen for our focus well, today? Since, uh, you know, my name is Matt. I figured I'd go to the gospel writer that you wrote. Uh, whose name I shared. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 2 through 7. This is an account of a miraculous healing towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, it's also uh, recounted in Mark's gospel, but I wanted to focus on Matthew's gospel because of some of the wording that's just a little bit different uh, in this. And again, it has to do with the healing of a paralytic. So to set the stage, uh, Jesus has come back to his own town. Mark says it's Capernaum. Before and, you go there, I want to ask you a question, though. 
Okay. Why did you skip verse 1? Is it because that was extremely difficult? <laughs> no, it just says that he come back to his own city, right? No, well, no, it, I mean, what it says is, is he's getting into a boat. He crossed over and came to his own city. Right. So what that means is that the boat was sitting there between the city where he was and on the other side of the boat was the city. So he stepped into the boat, crossed over, and then he was in the city. Is that what it says? Kind of like the cow jumping over the moon. Is that yeah, a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here, but my point is that when you, you see a scripture and getting into the boat, he crossed over. He crossed over what? Mm -hmm. And came to his own city. Scripture needs more. Of course it the, does. The, the writers of the Gospels, as John says at the end of his Gospel, did not give every detail every background, every context. And so that's why, even in that sense, the scriptures alone always require expansion. And so the danger of the expansion is what are you basing the expansion on? Is it a preconceived idea? And so, I didn't mean to detract you from that, but, but, but the point is, you're looking at the story of the paralytic, and so from your tradition before, how did you understand it? Well, from my tradition uh, before, so here we got everybody's finding out that Jesus is performing miracles, so they're crowding around the house. And uh, to give you the picture of how these houses are built, these are not, you know, angular roofs. These are flat roofs. I mean, people used to hang out on the roofs. And uh, so you've got four guys and their paralytic friend, and they can't get in the front door. It's not handicap accessible, as it were, <laughs> at that point. Uh, so they take to the take to the roof themselves and in an example from scripture that shows that George Clinton Parliament were not the first to tear the roof off uh, they go and proceed to cut a hole and lower their friend down as it says here uh, behold they brought him a paralytic lying on his bed they lower the bed down it says when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic take heart my son your sins are forgiven now I'm gonna pause there there's there's a lot of meat in this whole passage uh, the way I always read this was, here's a paralytic who wants to see Jesus so badly um, that he requests his friends to bring him to Christ, uh, who he knows is healing. And when Jesus sees this paralytic, he says to this guy, well, thank you so much. Your, your great faith has brought you here. Uh, therefore, I'm going to forgive your sins, and I'm going to tell you to rise up and walk. Except that's not what it says here. That's not what it says in Mark's account of this either. Uh, it says, when Jesus saw their faith. So he's seeing the faith of the people who have cut a hole in the roof. And because of that, he's forgiving sins. Now, this is a very, very different kind of picture of what's going on here. Than you saw originally yourself. Right, than I saw originally, because here I am thinking, here's a guy who's making a petition, Jesus seeing that guy's faith and saying, all right, you're forgiven. Almost but as if, says, I was yeah. going to say, almost as if here you got a person, like what the way you were interpreting and reading into the passage, mm -hmm. because of your theology, it had to be the, the faith of the person because of your theology. So it's just almost as if this guy wants to see Jesus and he's got four guys who, that don't want to see Jesus. They have no faith in Jesus. They don't want to go. They just happen to be friends. Yeah, they're just good buddies, right? <laughs> so he has to give them 50 bucks each. Please, will you do this? I don't want to do this. You want us to cut what? No way. Here, here's another 100 bucks. So in other words, the interpretation you were slanting on, it was all on the guy 
on the bed. Well, and it wasn't, and it wasn't necessarily that the guys were not eager to help their friend, right? But really, they were just, you know, the the the, the chariot bearers, right? Man, right. <laughs> the guys just bringing him up on a pallet. They're they're just kind of along for the ride. They're his chauffeurs. Uh, so, it, what really gave me clarity to this passage. Uh, and I already, uh, you know, my theology had already shifted towards, you know, the Catholic perspective on this. But about four years ago, uh, we brought my eldest son, my firstborn, to be baptized uh, at a Sunday Mass. And the reading from Mass that day, the gospel reading was Mark's account of this very thing, where you have four people bringing up a guy who can't bring himself. And what happens? Jesus forgives his sins. Well, here, this is being read in the context of my wife, myself, a godmother and a godfather taking a guy who can't bring himself up there because he's just a few weeks old. And what happens? His sins are forgiven in that context. And here you have a, a perfect, clear example of not just the intercession of lay people, but what St. Ambrose says when he's referring to this passage in his commentary on Matthew's gospel. He says, if Jesus is going to accept the intercessory prayers of these guys, how much more is he going to accept the intercessory prayers of the saints if we call on them and their holiness? We don't even know if these guys were holy. We just know that they had faith in that moment. So there's a lot going on just with that particular uh, sentence because of their faith. Yeah, and that, again, I was being facetious earlier when I said, you know, it was the faith of the paralytic who invited some guys who maybe didn't care at all. That's exact opposite what the scripture is saying. We don't know anything about the faith of the paralytic. All we know is, is that this was a man that on his own couldn't come to see Jesus, but we know about their faith. And that's what the point you're making. This is about other people's faith. And, you know, it, it kind of, I'm taking it would be a distraction to talk a little bit about about redemptive suffering, but there's a connection there is that Mm -hmm. we are connected as a mystical body through our baptisms with one another. Our faith helps one another and even our suffering. Paul talks about when I suffer, if you suffer, I suffer. If you're rejoicing, I rejoice, you know, and there's that connectivity. There definitely is. And there's something that's an extra layer here. So. Um, what are you baptized when you're baptized? You're baptized prophet, priest, and king. Now, how in the world is a month-old baby acting in the role of prophet, priest, and king? Well, what have they done? They have brought their family together to hear the word of God proclaimed. There's prophecy. Priest, they brought them before the sacrifice. (laughs) I mean, there's there's definitely some activity going. Um, You know, I'm just thinking of a a good friend of mine whose uh, young son uh, just tragically died uh, very young. But in the course of that, so many people were brought to prayer, brought to... to, to solidarity, uh, families were brought closer together because of somebody's suffering that they, uh, you know, offered up together as a family that this uh, young man offered up as as well. I mean, this is this is huge. Um, that uh, you know, you don't think of suffering necessarily um, as just your run of the mill Christian as this kind of thing that's good. I mean, we we do understand when tragedy strikes, uh, you know, and it seems to happen more and more in the headlines that. Uh, you know, we feel that connection with communities, but so often we feel 
more division than anything else. Uh, and Christ is calling us to suffer with, uh, compassion. That's what it means, right? right. Uh, in the in the Latin, uh, very directly. So it's not a wild uh, hair to you know wild path to go down to connect redemptive redemptive suffering with this story. You've and I both have heard many conversion stories, and often it is a crisis mm-hmm. in a person's life that is the turning point. And I mean, look at the story of the prodigal son. I mean, it wasn't until he was in the gutter with the pigs that he awakened, came to his senses, is what the scripture says. Well, what do you mean he came to his, was he all of a sudden smarter? I mean, I know when I was a kid, we talked about smarter pills, which was either uh, raisins or rabbit dropping. <laughs> right. So they, they were called smarter pills because you kind of knew after which you got which smarter. Was, yeah, well, was that what it was for the man in the gutter? Or was it a touch of grace that awakened him um, at the point at which he could realize the significance of it? And in the stories we're looking at, we don't really have any data about the man's faith. But it also points at something you're talking about layers, Matt, is that we recognize that grace, there's kind of a normal way that God has established for grace, right? Baptism, uh, entrance into the the mystical body, uh, you become a new creation. It says in Scripture, when you're in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. You're in the body and you receive grace through the sacraments. That's the normal way. Well, God doesn't have to work in the normal way. Yeah, we're bound by the sacraments. He's not, <laughs> which is kind of great. Right. So we have. He busts through that, that wall, that fourth wall all the time, God does. Yeah. So we have stories in Scripture where it is because of the person coming to Jesus that they receive a healing. The woman who's having the discharge of blood for so many years uh, doesn't even talk to Jesus. She just reaches out and touches his garment and she's healed. And that was because of her faith, Jesus says, because she reached out. Um, here's an example where it's the faith of friends. Mm-hmm. It's the faith of family. And we don't even know. There's no place in there. And Maybe the other accounts give a little more detail. All we know is in verse 7 that he got up and went home. Yeah. And there are, there are levels of this that would have made perfect sense to me uh, as a Protestant praying for uh, you know, a family member who who had fallen away from the faith uh, in some way. Uh, you know what St. John Chrysostom says when he says there are a lot of people out there who God, uh, you know, affects a spiritual healing on who didn't ask for it themselves. The demon possessed are a perfect example of that. We always felt that there was a need yeah. to pray for others, but we always thought at the end of the day, I always thought at least, uh, whether I was reading the theology right or not, that it was my personal decision right? It was me signing on the dotted line. And sometimes, you know, God breaks through. It's not just a believer's baptism of an adult at the age of reason when God decides that he's going to bestow his grace on somebody. Uh, Sometimes it's because of the faith of others. It's you just never know exactly how God's going to, you know, go go around his own uh, specific parameters that he set for us as ordinary means and, and, and break through. Yeah, and, and you've just touched on another example of different theologies. You know, I was a Calvinist, but I wasn't a hyper-Calvinist. You know, within the Calvinist ranks, I was about a four and a, a third 
point Calvinist. Out of the uh, out of the five. Out of the five. You know, and one of the five points of Calvinism is predestination, which emphasizes that we are totally depraved and that our salvation and forgiveness has nothing to do with my decision. It was something that was decided long before I was ever uh, conceived in the mind of my mother, you know, that was decided before me. So whatever, so they would have a problem with this verse because it seems to say that this man's sins were forgiven because of what these friends did, mm-hmm. as opposed to the, something yeah, that God did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got works. It was definitely a work for the the, the friends to do, <laughs> you know, the, the work of sawing through a roof, right? I mean, that's a work. And uh, the fathers actually point that out. Uh, and, and some of the, uh, the Counter-Reformation uh, commentators on this passage say, see, you got faith and works both going on here. Right. Um, so it's it's a combination of things. All right. Uh, now, granted, ultimately, you know, the power to forgive sins is something that only God can do as it's uh, actually indicated in this passage a, as well, which is why people were so upset with Jesus, <laughs> you know, when he said, you know, your sins are forgiven, take heart. Um, uh, but again, you, you got faith and works working in working in faith, I guess you could say, <laughs> in this right. passage. Now, you were saying there was another issue in this that was also uh, something that you didn't really see before, but later it's in verse 8 that you're seeing that, oh, there's more to this thing than you saw there, before. There is, and it's a tiny little, it's it's really one word. Um, and so in verse 8, when the crowds see this, they are afraid. Now, in Mark's gospel, it says, uh, they they said to themselves, we've never seen anything like this. That's how the tag is in Mark's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, it says the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. They don't say they glorified God who had given such authority to Jesus. Uh, they don't say that, what they say, who had given such authority to men. And there are also some commentaries uh, on this passage as well that say Matthew's gospel is written later than Luke. Uh, that's the, sort of the consensus. Right. And that the church would have been kind of more established uh, and, and, and more of kind of like an organized structure in certain places so that Matthew's audience would have been familiar with the concept of the power to forgive sins being entrusted to men. So that this is not something that would have been crazy for Matthew's community to read. Um, that this has been given not just to this one guy. Uh, now, obviously, it's this one guy in this passage, and the authority to forgive sins is not given by Jesus to his apostles uh, until well on down the story. Right. Uh, but to men, I mean, this is a plural word. And, you know, even in your inclusive language, it says human beings, not a human being. <laughs> um, I, I was looking this up beforehand just to make sure. <laughs> so, again, the idea that God would use other human beings as instruments of his grace yeah, sure, of course, in some senses, but not in terms of forgiveness of sins. I mean, God can use, I mean, all of us believe, no matter anybody who 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 proclaims the name of Jesus as Lord would believe that we have a role in extending grace to one another. But forgiving sins, we're like the Pharisees on that, most of us. Yeah. Uh, only one person can do that, unless that person, as it says later on, uh, says to somebody else, as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. Whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain 
they're retained. And again, when there was just no place for us to put that commissioning by Christ uh, in in our theology. Was it something that was just given to the apostles? Did they just decide not to give it to anybody else? Did the apostles decide not to entrust what had been entrusted to them to anybody else? Uh, So again, here's a little clue. Uh, a little foreshadowing of what's going to happen in regard to the sacrament of reconciliation right here at the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And you, what you're pointing out is when we think about the hardness of a verse like that, mm-hmm. um, which actually gets back into the reason was the first step towards the Catholic Church in itself for me. It wasn't, for me, the journey to the Catholic Church began not by the content of any scripture, right? but the difficulty. Because if you're standing in a pulpit, Matt, this coming Sunday, and it just so happens, however, that this is your text, that when the, the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. It, it, it comes on to your responsibility to explain that to your congregation. And scripture says that it's better that a mill wheel be put around your neck and have you thrown in the lake than to mislead. Then, then, then to get that wrong, right? Right, yeah. to mislead people. You don't want to get that wrong. And even if the, the, the minimum that a person believes about Scripture, it's the infallible inspired, inspired Word of God because it teaches you everything you need to know about salvation. That means the people in that congregation that are trusting you this coming Sunday on that passage, that you're going to give them the clear skinny on what is necessary for salvation. And as you said, in that passage, there's faith, there's works, there's the faith of somebody else bringing somebody else that we don't even know if they believe or not. So how are you going to spin it? And that's the point, is that it's not up to us individually as if all I need is the Holy Spirit in the Bible and I can put, and I'll always have the correct spin on every passage. That's why Christ gave us a teacher. Well, and not only that, you know, there's this sense that uh, Catholicism, I was listening to a radio program today talking about how, uh, you know, the traditions of men have added so many unnecessary layers onto the scriptures. If I'm reading the faith of other people having an impact on somebody else's forgiveness, uh, if I'm reading about the tr- the forgiveness, um, the power to forgive sins being given to men, I have to figure out a place to put that. Uh, if I'm uh, in your whatever Harvest Community Bethel Fellowship of God storefront yeah. church, I have to figure out a place to put that. If I'm a Catholic and I read this, it automatically occurs to me. Well, of course, we take our babies up to get baptized all the time, and they don't have anything to do with that. And of course, I mean, Father has the light on in that booth every Saturday from four to four thirty. Doesn't make sense. I mean, there's a there's there all these pieces are in place. Yeah. Um, to where this kind of makes sense. I, I know where that all goes uh, in the Catholic Church. It, these aren't, to me, accumulations. These are just sort of like the natural places where all Scripture fits. That's why it's it's hard for uh, a person who is scripturally rooted uh, and, and a Catholic to explain to somebody that the Bible just jumps off the page when you read it through with Catholic eyeballs, like it, it, it just comes alive. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you connect it to a, a thousand different things in the liturgy. You connect it to a thousand different things uh, in, in the way that a church is built. 
uh, in architecture, for crying out loud, you see pieces of this all over the scriptures. Uh, whereas, you know, again, if you're just taking the Bible out of a drawer in a hotel room because the Gideons put it there and you uh -huh. do what uh, a pastor I know did one night and he ripped out a page of John chapter three to roll up a joint with and he decided to read it before he lit it up. And that's, was the, that's where all his theology started out. <laughs> He's got to figure out where to put the rest of the Bible. Yeah, you know, but here we have again um, a church that, that you got a place to put all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you know we've looked at the hardness maybe just for a moment, just so we don't ignore another point of the passage that um, there are people in our lives that are paralytics that because of the way they were brought up or the, situ the situation in which they find themselves that uh, maybe would love to get closer to God, but they can't, or maybe they don't even know the answers in Jesus Christ. And the only way they will get close to Christ to receive the forgiveness that he offers is through you and me. I mean, that's also what this is about. This is, and this is one of the really, I'm glad you brought this up uh, because there's a tradition in the Catholic Church that doesn't exist. Well, it exists in the Orthodox Church, but it doesn't exist in any other denomination. The idea that you would take Christ, body, blood, soul, and the divinity, put him in a big gold thing and walk through the street with them <laughs> and pass sinners with him. You have no idea what that's going to do to people. I mean, you know how many people have been on your program and said, I was just standing in front of the Eucharist and it got me. Yeah. Uh, it got me. Um, you know, the faith of the people in that Corpus Christi procession, you know, people sometimes walk out to see what's going on and maybe they haven't been to church in 20 years, but by golly, they decided they're going to cross themselves today. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it goes yeah. by. You just never know. And it's, there's this, a really tangible way of bringing people in front of the Blessed Sacrament when you bring people to church. Uh, you've, you've heard people before as well say, you know, I wasn't of any faith at all. I went with grandma and something, I felt like something was in that that gold box staring at me, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, that it was the faith of somebody who was willing to bring someone else in front of Christ, uh, that, that there was that special connection that was made. Well, that also gets to the idea that given your old tradition, my old tradition, we probably would have had an, an idea in our mind what a what a real surrender to Jesus looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, a message is preached, cuts a person to the heart, mm -hmm. they turn to Jesus, they turn to the pastor, whomever, get on their knees, express forgiveness, say it, and then they're told to say a sinner's prayer, and then now they're saved. I mean, that's kind of the flow, okay? Mm -hmm. The story ain't like that, and and neither is the the man who hasn't been to church in fifty years and then sees a, a Corpus Christi procession and he crosses himself. Well, you and I might not have taken the fact that he crossed himself as the normal way of expressing surrender to Christ, but that may have just exactly been you his way know. of surrendering to Jesus and returning. And then now what are the fruit? I mean, that's that's where the true authenticity of a conversion is seen, is what's the fruit in a person's life? That's right. And again, uh, this all goes back to the whole idea of 
we're bound by the sacraments. God is not, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, uh, you know, we've seen all kinds of, um, you know, through the lives of the saints, uh, you know, people who were jailers and persecutors of Christians who had conversions because of the faith of the people they were jailing with, uh, jailed with, and they didn't get baptized or go through all the, 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 whatever it happened to be, the rigmarole, but they went into the arena and got eaten with their fellow Christians. And guess what? They're on the church calendar now. <laughs> so, yeah. Again, it's it's just pretty amazing how how God, uh, you know, will will use the faith uh, uh, of people. Uh, again, the faith. Uh, it, we would always have said, you know, a good Christian witness will bring others to Christ. Um, but there's just an extra level of that here. I think. Yeah, there's always a mystery. Have, have you ever read um, Evelyn Waugh's Bride Said Revisited? Oh, of course. Okay. Of course. The salvation of the Father is the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Uh, for those of you who haven't, it's a great book. You ought to get out and read it, though. It took me about three or four times before I liked it. But it, it's, you know, it's it was written 100 years ago or so or wherever. But but, but the point is, he's dying, and he's been a depraved man for decades. Wants nothing to do with any priest or any Catholic. He's in bed. He can't get up. He doesn't want. There's any, he's a paralytic, basically. He's a paralytic. There's no evidence that he wants to see a priest. And the battle with the family with the daughter and and her, I can't remember if they're married by now or not. I can't remember. But anyways, remember, the, the, the battle is, do we bring this priest in or not? Because is it, is it going to send him to his grave in shock or will it be a worthless time? And, but the daughter says, I want the priest there. And eventually she gets the priest in there. And that's the pinnacle of the book. When after all these things, the, the, the old man can hardly move, can hardly utter anything, but after the priest has done some simple little prayer, asking once to forgive the sins, he crosses himself. And the point of Evelyn Waugh is that's the conversion, the return of this man to his faith. And given his life and everything we know about him, that's the last thing we would have thought for him to do. But that's what he does. Hey, what is the what is the the, the year of mercy all about, if not that God uh, well, as it says in the book of Romans, you know, that even while we were sinners, Christ still died for us. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing. And again, uh, the the average run of the mill Protestant will follow you pretty far down that road. Yeah, will follow you pretty far down that road. But there's just that extra, extra little level uh, just that, again, as we were discussing in this patch, just two little words that are just yeah. game changers yeah. uh, that that really speak to something that's a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper than just, uh, you know, kind of some guy saying, hey, I'm sorry, Lord, help me walk and forgive my sins. <laughs> and, and, right? we, and we take those two little words seriously because this is the inspired word of God. It's, of course. It's what we were given to, to draw us closer to our Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Thank you, Matt. Hey, thank you. It was always a pleasure catching it, up with it you. It was. Thanks. And thanks. this contest especially. It was very good. Thanks, Matt. Really enjoyed it. And thanks all of you for joining us on the program. Again, uh, if you want to listen to old programs, The Deep in Scripture, go to deepinscripture.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to send us an email, do so at dis at chnetwork.org. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we look forward to being with you again next week. God bless you. See you then. Mm-hmm.